Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I am going to do something that I almost never do, or at least I probably haven't done in that, like the last 20 years. I, I've always made a point when I'm doing this show of of, of not getting wrapped up in, in particular causes. You know, there's a real temptation if you're a talk show host or something, you, you want to adopt a particular cause. I feel strongly about this piece of legislation or that piece of legislation, and you kind of obsess over this. And the problem with it is that there's so many worthwhile causes, and sometimes there's only so much impact that you can have that you, you find yourself kind of like bouncing from cause to cause to cause without necessarily accomplishing anything. And I, I just, I learned early on in my career that, no, I mean, my job is to inform and educate and maybe entertain and talk about issues and give you my spin, but not to really kind of get, get hung up on and fixated on any particular cause or, or issue, etc. I'm about ready to change that because I am sick, sick about what is going on in, in Milwaukee, in southeastern Wisconsin, in the state to a lesser extent, in this country, when it comes to, to violence. And, you know, we, we've been talking about the out-of-control crime. We, we talk about the, the 20 to 25 cars a day that are stolen day after day after day on the mean streets of Milwaukee. We talk about the number of shootings. And as we saw yesterday, over the weekend, um, I, I've always made this point. We, we look at homicides, and homicides are through the roof this year after an all-time record last year, after an all-time record the year before that. But the truth of the matter is, any time there is a shooting, it, it is only but for the grace of God that it turns out not to be a homicide. And you saw that over the weekend. I mean, 21 people shot, 17 people shot around 11 o'clock on Friday night in the Deer District, three people shot before that in the Deer District, and then another um, another person shot in between those. So between Water Street and Highland, I mean, it was, again, I'd, I'd say it's like the Wild Wild West, but that would be an insult to the, the Wild Wild West. And afterwards, you have all the usual suspects coming out. You, you have the, the, and look, I, I understand part of it is everybody's frustrated and doesn't really know what to do. You know, I mean, I watched the mayor's press conference and the mayor is talking about how it's unacceptable and people from the community need to come forward and cooperate with the police. And I, I mean, I agree with all that. I didn't say anything wrong. Well, we'll we'll talk about one of the things he said a little bit later on when he they, everybody uses the term accessibility of firearms. But, but I'll get to that. But again, we, we just talk about this and talk, talk about this and talk about this stuff. And nothing substantive gets done over the weekend. They impose a curfew on people under the age of 21. OK, well, I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. But it's time to start talking about the things and getting stuff done. Now, look, I I have never had an issue with the whole root causes thing. You know, what what is it about somebody's upbringing that causes them to join a gang? 
What is it about somebody's upbringing that decide that causes them to, you know, go armed into an area where there's hundreds, if not thousands of people and pull out your guns and start shooting indiscriminately? So, I, I mean, I don't have an issue with dealing with like the, these root causes things, but I'm not smart enough to figure out how you do that. And the other thing is we don't have enough time to deal with the, gee, we've been raising generations of hoodlums, how do we stop that? What we have to do is we have to deal with the current generation of thug and hoodlum that is out on the streets that are shooting up the streets and shooting each other. And and then, you know, at the same time, I don't have a problem, again, with figuring out the root causes and all those sort of things, but the immediate problem, governor, mayor, senators, congressmen, state senators, state assemblymen. The immediate problem is getting the dangerous thugs off the street so they are not killing other people. That's the problem, and that's what you have to deal with. And that means that, yes, we're going to have to start incarcerating people. And, and don't give me this lip service saying we will want to hold people accountable. I, I, everybody wants to hold people accountable, but we're not doing that. So what can we significantly do to hold people accountable? And this is where I jump on my soapbox, and, and this is the cause. And I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 sent out a several tweets about this over the weekend and got a huge response. So Tony Evers, the governor, puts out a statement over the weekend saying that he and his wife are heartbroken over the latest mass shooting. I am sure that he is. My tweet, though, says, okay, but how about instead of being heartbroken, how about we do something substantial? And here is my challenge. If Governor Evers would come out today and call for mandatory minimum five-year prison terms for felons with guns, I guarantee he would have broad support. And you know what? I don't think I'm out on a limb because I'm looking at my Twitter feed, and I will say a couple dozen, I'm willing to bet a couple dozen state representatives who follow me all like that. If... If we were, if the governor were to say, I am now 110% behind holding felons with guns accountable, because isn't that something that we should all be able to agree on, Republican, Democrat, Independent, that once you are committed, once you are convicted of a felony, you should not carry guns, right? Can we all agree with that? And if you are a felon with a gun, chances are you are up to no good. So if the governor would come out and say mandatory minimum prison sentences for people, felons caught with possession of a gun, three years, five years, we can argue about what the length of the term is. My guess is you would have overwhelming support for this. But, of course, the governor, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for it because that would mean actually doing something to hold people accountable for it. Now, you have 11 people who are in custody so far as a result of the shootings that occurred on Friday night um, in the Deer District. This is the this is where the 17 people were shot. There were a couple other shootings as well. I, I have in my hands, don't have the names, but I have the ages of the people who were arrested for being parties to the, the shooting. 28-year-old man, 20-year-old man, 30-year-old man, 20-year-old, 21-year-old man, 29-year-old man. Those were five people who were treated at the hospital and were also arrested in connection with the shooting. On top of that, there were six other people who were connected to the incidents 
arrested but not injured. 19-year-old male, three 20-year-old males, a 23-year-old male and a 24-year-old male were arrested. So you get the, the idea. It's it's not juveniles, but it's in that 19 to 25 to 30-year-old range. Now, I do not know this for certain because they have not released the backgrounds. But I have said this before. If you look at the people who are arrested for shootings or crimes of violence in Milwaukee County, my guess, just a guess, my guess is that at least three quarters of those people are people who are in or have been in the criminal justice system. They are people that are out on bail awaiting charges for crimes. They are people who are on parole or on probation or under some form of deferred prosecution or, in fact, are felons. Now, we never in the media follow up on that. So here's challenge number one. Every time we see a story, and I'm going to do my best to do this from here on out, moving forward where somebody has been arrested for a, a shooting, crime of violence or whatever, but try to pull the guy's record or the gal's record. And my guess is three-quarters of those people will be felons who should not have had guns in the first place. What is the over-under that when they come out with the criminal records of those 11 people that were arrested in connection with the shootings last over the weekend, that you're going to find most, if not all of them, again, have been in the criminal justice system, whether it's juvenile system or whether it's adults. How many of those kids, people, do you think are, are felons? My guess is probably two-thirds of them. So at some point in time, it's one thing to give lip service to say, well, we've got to hold people accountable and people shouldn't have guns and all these things. And that's all true. we got to hold people accountable and people shouldn't be carrying guns. And it starts with the felons who should not have guns and yet do it. They carry guns because they are not. It's just like the juveniles who steal cars. They steal cars because they know nothing is going to happen to them when they steal cars. And the felons carry guns because they know that not a damn thing is going to happen to them when they get caught with the guns. So let's start maybe by trying to keep guns out of the hands of people that everybody agrees shouldn't have them, which would be the felons. And what's the best way to do it? Well, it seems to me the best way to do that is to make sure that there are penalties for it. And the penalties either serve as a deterrent. Hey, you're a felon. You get caught with a gun. You better think twice before you carry that gun because you're going to go to prison for three to five years, whatever that number might be. That's number one. Number two, even if it doesn't deter the people from doing it, at least it protects the rest of us because that person is going to be off the street for three to five years. And yes, I understand that means we're going to have to build more prisons. Yes, I understand that that means that you're going to have some people who are upset because that will say that you're going to I don't know, disproportionately incarcerate this type of person or that type of person. I don't care. I, I We've got to get the streets to be made safe. And a small starting point is locking up people, guaranteed prison terms for people who are not legally allowed to have guns who carry them. That's just one small step. Now, I've got other ideas as well, but let's talk about this. Where is the governor on this? Where is the legislature on this? But it starts with the governor, because I guarantee you, Tony, you come out and you call for mandatory minimum sentencing for felon with guns. I guarantee you, you will have broad support. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line as a starting point for gun violence. 
why don't we start with the felons and get them off the streets when they get caught carrying guns and guarantee that they are going to prison and they're not going to get out in a month or two? 855-616-1620. We start with conversation there. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, beyond the insanity of the mass shootings on Water Street, there were eight deadly shootings in Milwaukee, three on Friday, three on Saturday, two on Sunday. The media is barely covering these deaths. 21 shot downtown, eight murders since Friday. Yep, that's that's a fact. And, and right, and we're and, and again, the, the all the shootings, the, the 21 shootings on Friday, that did not result in homicides, every one of those could resulted in somebody dead. I mean, see, that that's the thing. We could be talking about, the, the texter is right, there were eight deadly shootings. We could be talking about close to 30 deadly shootings, again, if the shots were fired in a little bit more accurate fashion or some people weren't as lucky as they were. And that's why we have to do something. Now, a number of people are correctly pointing out that one of the problems with what I'm saying is that District attorneys, and in this case, we've got a turn them loose, soft on crime district attorney in Milwaukee County whose soft on criminals message is coming home to roost. And it's true that the, the flaw in my plan is if the district attorney's office refuses to charge felon in possession offenses because they've got mandatory minimum prisons, prison sentences to them, well, then, then, then that's, that's a gaping hole. Because, you know, or they decide that they're going to plea bargain them away. Okay, well, that's, let me, give me that law on the books first, okay? And then we'll look at the mechanics of John Chisholm's office. And Chisholm's not going to be in office that much longer. As a matter of fact, there's some Republican candidates saying that one of the first things they're going to do is fire him if they end up getting elected governor in November. But Chisholm's not going to be in office forever. But give me that felon in possession fire law. And then, then we'll start putting pressure on the district attorney's office to do the right thing and not fail to charge those cases or not drop the cases. So one step at a time, and I understand that that's you know, one of the flaws in my strategy, that if the DA's office, led by John, let's turn loose dangerous criminals Chisholm so I can get more awards in New York City, if that's going to be the philosophy, I get it that that's a flaw. But give me that mandatory minimum sentencing law to begin with. It is a start, and then we'll go from there. Let's talk to Terry. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Jeff. Hey, I, I, like I was telling your producer, uh, it's a couple things. I'll be quick. Uh, one of the problems is that the, the, a lot of the parents of the, these youth that are committing these crimes are probably going to be in the voter base that support people like Tony Evers, you know, the Democrats. And uh, I just there, there's more of a push to try to fix the socioeconomic issues that lead to these types of mm-hmm. things happening versus versus actually incarcerating them. People, no one wants anyone to go to jail. I mean, look, they want to let out a murderer. Guy stabs someone forty times. So there's just there's just not a push for that right now. It's, it's a it's, it's a pro criminal situation we live in with the, with the uh, government right now. Yeah. And um, I want to I want to also say that I remember going back to when like that cop was killed on a Twenty Seventh Street uh, over near North Avenue. Um, the the police officer that that died in that car chase on Silver Spring. Oh right, sure. Like even going back. To to the postal, I mean, to that like inspector that got killed during that robbery downtown or wherever that was right. years back. Like, there's just been this uptick of criminality, and and I, I've been telling people, I said, hey, you know, it doesn't matter how many cops you put out there because there are people that are willing to have shootouts in front of the police. 
Yeah. And what happened downtown is actually a statement of that. And and I said it before. I mean, I don't know who that lady was, that, that police lady. She was like an assistant, someone. She said, you know, there there isn't nothing that I can do. You know, this is a this is a thing where we need to work with the community. When you hear a law enforcement officer say that there's nothing they can do, that just proves that they've lost all control of the city. The yeah. criminals run Milwaukee now, whether you like it or not. No, thanks, thanks for calling here. Well, I mean, and I, and I don't like that. And see, I guess maybe I'm naive. I really, honest to goodness, believe that the vast number of people who live in the city of Milwaukee, 98%, law-abiding, who, who would, for example, go down to Water Street to have a good time on a Friday night, who, who are there and just, just have no intention of causing trouble at all. But you've got a certain subset, and I think it's a relatively small subset of the community, but a certain subset of the community who just doesn't care, who's willing to pull out guns and get into a sh- And I assume this is gang-related. I don't know that for sure, and we'll find out at some point in time. But it, it sounds like groups of people just opened up firing I- at each other. So my guess is they came packing, they were looking for trouble, and they decided to, to find it. So I, I think it's a certain subset that's out there. And that subset needs to be removed from society so that they do not terrorize the law-abiding citizens that are there. But right now, that subset is unafraid. You know, you were talking about the car chases. You want to talk about a disastrous decision that was made by the former mayor, Tom Barrett, and by the former police chief, Ed Flynn, when they implemented their no-chase policy. You know, we've talked about this before. Well, what happened? We're not going to chase people. So we, we went for five years where the bad guys knew that they could just run away from the cops, sell dope out of the cars, the cops follow you take off blow through a red light at 95 miles an hour the cops follow you try to put on the red lights you pull away they won't chase you we we saw and we're still dealing with the aftermath of that because we went years where the bad guys knew that they could run and they wouldn't get caught well this is pretty much the same sort of thing they know they can pack heat they know that they can come and commit these crimes and the chances are very very unlikely that there's going to be any real consequences. So I, I appreciate I heard the mayor saying there need to be consequences. I hear Tony Evers saying he's heartbroken. I'm cool with all that. I appreciate that. But let's talk about real stuff. Let us start with mandatory minimum penalties for felons in possession of a gun. Isn't that a small step that we can all agree with? And then you know we, we can move on from there. Let's go after the people that shouldn't have guns, and let's, and I promise, this is one of the things we're going to do. I'm going to start looking at the criminal records of people who are charged with various crimes. My guess is you are going to find 80% or more are under some form of supervision that doesn't allow them to have guns or are, in fact, felons. Let's start with that and then start asking these questions about why are these dangerous people out on the street. Let's get the dangerous people. Let's take the low-hanging fruit, the people that we all agree shouldn't be out on the streets carrying guns and committing crimes. Let's get them off the street, and then let's go on to some of the more difficult things. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
Milwaukee Police Department says an off-duty Cleveland, Ohio police officer shot and killed a suspect in self-defense during an attempted armed robbery overnight Sunday. Milwaukee police said that the incident, which they initially described as a homicide, happened just after 12.19 a.m. at 17th and Valite Streets. A 17-year-old Milwaukee teen died at the scene of the shooting and was in possession of a firearm. MPD is seeking two other people in connection to the attempted armed robbery. Police have not identified a 38-year-old Cleveland police officer, nor the 17-year-old. The off-duty officer was not injured during the shooting. Okay, uh, so, I mean, okay, 17-year-old kid dead. The the story, and more details will emerge, is that the 17-year-old and apparently two of his hoodlum buddies, in this case, picked the wrong person to try to rob at gunpoint in this case it was a police officer who was apparently armed fought back the 17 year old is dead the other two are in the wind but this is the type of stuff that is going on and you know what i am not somebody who's an advocate for vigilantism and things like this but as the crime problem gets worse and worse i think you're going to see more and more stories like this clearly the 17 year old picked the wrong victim and you know by trying to rob a 38 year old cleveland police officer who happened to be carrying the outcome wasn't what the 17 year old would be armed robber thought was the case and it is a tragedy it it is anytime anybody loses their life in something like this but it's a sunday night it's after midnight what's a 17 year old doing out on the street number one number two what is the 17 year old with a couple of his low life buddies doing trying to go out and and rob people at gunpoint don't you realize that nothing good can happen at that and here's another situation where in this case you you have you, you have somebody who's dead who shouldn't have been dead, but shouldn't have been doing what they were doing in the first place. Okay, so Saturday afternoon, I was went to a wedding in the afternoon, and before that, I had a, a friends of ours had a had a wonderful party for several hundred people and and lots of kids and stuff. Had a great time, and and in between, I, I spent you know a couple hours kind of trying to keep track of what had happened over the weekend, particularly what had happened on on Friday night in the Deer District. So I watched the press conference with the mayor and with the uh, the number two or three ranking person in the police department. And And they came out, and the mayor in particular, together with one other, it was a state senator from the area, and, you know, inevitably... Inevitably, the politicians can't help themselves because they can't do these press conferences without going back to to one of the the, the touchstones of at, at least what, what you hear a lot from liberals, which is that the whole question of when we deal with firearm violence, that they want to deal with the problems of firearms. I have no problem. And this is why I spent the first 30 minutes talking about let's get the felons in possessions off the streets. You want to talk about gun control that we should all agree with. People who should not have guns need to be held accountable when they have guns. And and then, of course, even more accountable when they decide to use those guns. But I, I heard the mayor and one of the phrases he said is we, we need help from Madison. We need to deal with the accessibility of firearms. And that was the phrase that you heard a, a couple times. We need more gun laws. And you had all these people from the media that were there. Matter of fact, I'm told that there was there were no citizens there. It was just people from the media and a handful of people from the police department and the fire department and the mayor's office. But not one single reporter, not one single reporter says, excuse me, Mr. Mayor. Excuse me, sir. 
you're talking about accessibility of firearms. Too many guns on the street. And, and by the way, I think we would all agree with that. Nobody asks the follow-up question, which is, what specifically, what specific gun laws do you want to see Madison pass? And can you then correlate that with the, the, the crime and the level of crime and gun crime in the city of Milwaukee? What are you looking for? And, and nobody asks that follow-up question. And I'm sitting there at home, and I'm watching this on TV, and I had it on the radio. And I'm saying, somebody just ask them when they say they want to limit accessibility of firearms. What what are they? What what exactly are they talking about? Because we have all sorts of laws now that say, okay, you, you you can't have a gun if you're a felon. You can't have a gun if you're below a, a certain age, okay? You can't use those guns to commit crimes, and those don't be deter, able to deter stuff. So what are we talking about when we say accessibility to, to firearms? What, what do we mean? Do we mean universal background checks? Okay, well, that's fine, but then... Let's talk about the number of people who are committing crimes in the city of Milwaukee, and let's figure out where they're getting their guns. And and then show me, gee, if we had a system of universal background checks, this would stop this gangbanger or that gangbanger or this three-time felon from getting the guns. Because my chance, I've got to tell you, I guess that I doubt that those people are going through background checks, period. What about some people might say, well, we want to close the gun show loophole. We don't want people being able to go and, and buy a secondhand gun and not have to go through a, a background check. Okay, how many of those people, uh, of the 11 that were arrested for what happened, you know, on Water Street Friday night, how many of those got their guns? I'm just curious, through like the gun show loophole. You know, we, we talk about accessibility of firearms. And, and do I agree with the basic premise that, you know, yes, there's too many guns out there that end up in the wrong hands? O- okay, but then let's talk, let's have a serious conversation instead of just saying, well, I, I, we need more laws. Tell me what laws you want to pass. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Give me a law that makes sense. And I'm, I'm down with it. I, I mean, if you can show me, if you could say to the Republicans in the legislature and the, go- the Democrat governor, this is a law which, if we pass it, will make it more difficult for that 17-year-old who to get the firearm that he then used to hold up the Cleveland police officer and the guy got shot dead. That would be the 17-year-old. It, it, give me the law that you want passed that is going to, for all those 11 people that were arrested the other night because of what happened on Water Street who had guns, show me the law that would keep guns out of their hands and explain to me exactly how that would happen. And I'm willing to have that conversation. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, this is just one of these things. We, we talk about accessibility of firearms. Oh, okay, fine. I, I get it. Too many guns, wrong hands. Get it. Tell me what new law that you want that is going to stop, again, that 17-year-old gangbanger from getting the gun and using it to hold somebody up. I, tell me what that law is, and, and we can have, and I, I'm, chances are, to tell you the truth, I'm probably going to be 100% behind it. But but this, well, we want, you know, we, we want these, these laws. Okay, well, 
All right, we've already got laws. We've got laws on background checks. We've got laws against straw buyers of guns, you know, where the where the, the guy sends his girlfriend. He's a felon, so he sends his girlfriend in, and she buys the gun or, or whatever. Uh, all right, do I have a problem with trigger locks? I, no, I, I said that the other day. But let's let's be real. The trigger locks are not a deterrent to the people that are shooting up Water Street. 855-616-1620. Is it fair to ask... When you talk about accessibility of firearms, what more do you want? And can you tie that into what is going on? Because then we can have an intelligent discussion. And if you've got some Second Amendment advocates who say, no, we can't have any restrictions at all, I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation because just like I think we need to have mandatory minimum prison sentences for felons in possession, if you've got a law that can make it harder for that 17-year-old to legitimately get his hands on that gun to use it in a harmed robbery, I, I think we have to look at it. But tell me what that law would be. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Maybe I'm just getting old. I, I, I mean, I'm listening to Mayor's press conference on, on Saturday, and he... he he says a lot of the right things, but but all they are is words. And then he goes, he says, okay, we, we need more laws that deal with the accessibility of firearms. And, and, and nobody says, what laws are you talking about, Mayor? I mean, excuse me, I mean, where, where do the bad guys, where are the criminals getting their guns? Well, okay, they're stealing them. Well, there's already laws against stealing guns, and there's all sorts of laws against minors possessing guns and felons possessing guns and people on bail possessing guns, and, and th- that doesn't be, seem to be deterring them. They, they get them through straw purchases. Well, they, they send their girlfriend or their friend in who doesn't have a record to buy the gun for them. Well, well that's, that's illegal as well. They're buying the guns on the black market. Okay, well, that, that the underground market of selling guns. Well, those are in general illegal to do too. So when you talk about accessibility of firearms and you want more laws, I'm open to it. But but tell me what that is. Okay, you want to close the gun show loophole where you know people can buy guns without going through background checks if the gun show dealer isn't a federal firearms licensor, licensed person? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to consider that. But what percentage of these crime guns really come from that? Where do the crime guns come from? And then tell Tell me how your law on new law on the accessibility of firearms is going to really impact the crime gun question, which is what we have to to do. But nobody asks that question. Otherwise, it's just, well, yada, yada, yada. We want more laws for that. We have too many guns in the wrong hands of too many people. Everybody would agree with that. My question is, then what do we do about it? And just giving lip service to, well, we need to deal with accessibility of firearms. We need more laws. Then tell me specifically what laws you want. And you know what? If it makes sense, I'll I'll be behind it 110%. Let's talk to Stephen. Stephen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, Jeff. I, I guess I, to your point, I mean, it, it's already illegal. I, I'm pretty sure it's 21 to own a handgun, and I'm pretty sure all those kids in Milwaukee were using handguns. To your, to your point, I mean, it's already illegal for them to possess. I think the root of it, though, is probably not firearms related. I think it's structure in the homes, and I think this is a multi-generational, multi-decade problem, and it's not limited just to inner cities. You see this in the poorer rural areas, obviously mm-hmm. not to the scale at which you see in urban cities, but I think we're looking at not the right um, cause to the problem. I mean, it's a stopgap measure, firearms, and obviously it, it is a stopgap measure because people still get them illegally. So, right. um I, I think they have to look at a, a bigger reason for this, and there's definitely another another bigger reason for well, it. Well, no, and thanks for calling, Stephen. Again, I, I, look, 
I, I sort of said this at the start of, of, of the hour. I am not smart enough to figure out the whole I, I lump all this stuff into the root causes. You know, what what is it why is it that, you know, a sixteen year old or a seventeen year old or a twenty four year old why is it that they join gangs? Why is it that they just don't have any sort of impulse control at, at all? Why is it that they feel entitled to stick people up? And, and, and those are all valid questions. And, and those are questions that, you know, people have been asking for a couple generations. And, and I'm, I leave it up to people smarter than me to figure out how it is that we can save the next generation. But I guess I look at it from my perspective, and right now, my principal, uh, the principal, I think, priority for all of us has to be saving our generation, <laughs> and that means getting the criminals off off the street. And if you want to figure out, okay, what what is it that we can stop the, how, what can we do to stop the eight year olds today from becoming the seventeen year olds or the twenty one year olds that go out armed and shoot up the streets? I'm all in favor of it, and I, and, and that that that's that's good. Work with that, figure it out. But I'm more concerned right now with those 15, 16, 17 through 30-year-olds who just don't have any sort of control at all, no regard for human life, no regard for anybody else, and are out there shooting up the streets. Those are the people that we got to get out of society. And I guess that's my focus now, and I will leave it to other people to figure out um, the, the larger issues, I guess, connected with, you know, why Why did that 21-year-old who's probably been through the juvenile justice system a dozen times, why is it that the 14-year-olds are stealing cars and then at 16 are carjacking people and running from the police and all? I, I, I leave that to people smarter than me. I just, I want those people off the streets right now so the rest of us don't have to be worried if you go downtown and you walk across the streets that you're suddenly going to be dodging bullets right and left. And I don't think that's too much to ask for. Let's talk to um, Ben. Ben, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, I agree with your uh, last caller. No new gun laws are going to help. Um, and, you know, the, the media, as you're kind of saying, is doing a, well, with the exception of you, is doing mm-hmm. a terrible job of asking what can we do to deter crime besides saying the same statement that Tom's, Tom Barrett's been saying for the past uh, five to ten years. Um yeah, everybody comes out really and look, and, and, and people are, and they're, they're, they are sincere, Ben. People, people are legitimately appalled at, at what happened, and and everybody wants to denounce it. But it's the same stuff. You know, Tony Evers puts out the statement. I'm heartbroken about this. I'm sure he is, but okay, that that's not enough to just have this conversation about it. And and we can't just call for, well, I want this new law or that new law without saying specifically what law are you talking about, and then let's correlate it back to where the real problems are i otherwise you're just spinning your wheels yeah yeah we, we're uh we have issues where it's like that's car city goes back to um sometimes it's, it's at the home we have a we have a cultural issue where there's crime that comes comes up and we got to find out where we can intervene so that we can prevent others from following that same yep. path and you know um Yep, Milwaukee back on the map is being a good place. No, th- thanks for call, Ben. Yeah, absolutely, and, and look, Milwaukee is not unique to the, this problem. You, you have these problems in urban areas all across the, all across the country. But the one thing I can tell you is, years of soft on crime approaches ha- have not made things better. They, they've made things worse. And I hate the phrase, the chickens are coming home to roost, but the chickens are coming home to, to roost. So it's fine. And again, I 
you, you want to talk about dealing with accessibility of firearms, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. But the, the thing is, that means that we're going to have to be willing to hold more people uh, accountable than we already are. Let's go after the felons in, with guns. Let's go after the straw buyers that, that go in there. If you've got people who are illegally selling guns in a secondhand market, I'm all in favor. Let's prosecute them, them all. We, we've, we've got to do everything we can to keep guns out of the wrong hands. But accessibility of firearms, that catchphrase, it me, it's meaningless. It's meaningless unless you're going to talk about what exactly are, are you saying and how can we do it. And we're past the point where we can have meaningless conversations. All right, when we come back, one more incident related to the violence over the weekend, and then we're going to move on. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. The Milwaukee Medical County Medical Examiner. The office has been called to 18 homicides over the last 15 days. A tweet from the department said on Monday, 18 homicides in 15 days. Ages range from 14 to 52, and the weather is just starting to get warm. In the city of Milwaukee, I think this is a lagging indicator, but they have their statistics up year to date so far. They say they've got 82 homicides, and I'm not sure that includes everything that, that happened over the weekend. 82 homicides. To give you perspective, this time last year, which was an all-time record year for homicides, there were 52. So we're, we're already, year to date at least, more than 50% over what what the all-time record was. I mean, at this pace, you could be looking at three to 400 murders in the city of Milwaukee. That's, it's unthinkable. I mean, I can't believe that it would get close to that, but that's, that's kind of where we are. And, of course, the, the number of crimes, it's non-fatal shootings, 294 versus 276 versus 142 years ago, 294 non-fatal shootings. So that's over, that's almost 380 shootings on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee that resulted in some form of injury. And, and it's showing no signs of, of stopping at all. So, as we were talking about in the first hour of the program, you, you have what happened in downtown Milwaukee, you know, on the outskirts of the Deer District, and then a couple blocks over on Water Street and all. And this is, of course, not the first time we have had problems on Water Street. What was it last year that we had, you know, all the reports of Water Street essentially being taken over by partiers and then violence um, with people just driving slowly and stopping their cars in the middle of the road and getting out and dancing and things like that and then all the fights that develop and that apparently has not has not stopped at, at all um, for, I'm looking at the description of the local newspaper you know after the bucks lost on Friday large crowds swelled into the streets festival like atmosphere spilled out of control music blasting clouds of smoke people stopping traffic for dance parties um, 50 or more people standing on corners in front of businesses you know all, all that so just this large massive group of people and then of course all the trouble breaks out so you know one of the things that we're wrestling with is is what do you do you know how how do you allow businesses to operate and, and yet 
you know, still keep things under control. You know, one of the ideas that was kicked around on Water Street is actually creating an, an area, sort of like Escape from New York, where, where you've got the, the area is barricaded and access to it is, is controlled, and you have checkpoints that you have to go through. Well, I mean, the, the business leaders, they're not gung-ho on that because they want to make it as easy as possible for people to get to the businesses. You know, some people are saying we should just close the streets and turn it into a pedestrian access area. I, to me, you do stuff like that, and, and all you're doing is guaranteeing that there's going to be even more people that are going to be congregating looking for trouble. But the upshot was, after all the stuff that happened on Friday night, the Bucks canceled the watch party in the Deer District on on, on Sunday. The mayor imposed a, a curfew on people under the age of 21, an emergency curfew period. And that, I mean, the penalty was you, you get a ticket, which, okay, that, I mean, you're doing what you can do. But I, I doubt that the ticket would have been much of a deterrent. But, but regardless, I mean, they, they're doing, you know, what it was they, they can do. But the, the bigger picture is, after everything that happened, I mean, Water Street and that whole area downtown was pretty much a ghost town on Saturday and Sunday night. And that's that's extremely unfortunate, of course, because you've got all these wonderful businesses there and they pay taxes. And, you know, they're they they are there to serve a population that wants to go and have fun. But if. If it's not a population that wants to go and have fun, if that group of people are afraid that, gee, we're, we're going to get caught in the middle of gun battles between rival gangs or we're going to get held up at, at gunpoint by 17-year-olds with guns, that the, the simple fact is the free market is, is going to take over and, and nobody is going to go down there. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does all the stuff that has been happening in downtown Milwaukee, does it make you think twice about going down there? And again, I, I think it's it's really, really interesting that on a nice Saturday night, the immediate aftermath of what happened on Friday, lots of people just voted with their wallets and they voted with their feet and they decided we don't want to be in the middle of this environment. And that's very, very unfortunate for all the wonderful businesses that are down there. But the problem is people don't want to go where they're going to be, exp- or at least the people you want to come and, and patronize your places aren't going to go down there if they think they're going to get robbed or shot at or beaten up. The only people that are going to go down to these areas are the people that are there looking for trouble or victims. 855-616-1620. Are you reluctant to go to some of these locations? And I guess after all this stuff that's going on, my, my question would be, how can you not be reluctant? I mean, in all seriousness, how can this not be something that's in the back of your mind? I mean, I told this story a week or so ago. We went to a wonderful restaurant in downtown Milwaukee, but it was a restaurant that you, know, you had to park your car on the street. And, and I was, I, I tell you, in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, when I come out after eating, is my car going to be there? Yes, it was. That was good. When I come out after eating with my wife and this other couple we were with, are we going to be able to walk the block and a half to our car without having some 17-year-old come up and pull a gun and put it in my face? I, those were all factors that are in the back of my mind, and I don't think those are unreasonable factors. And I think there's a lot of people that do that calculation, and they say, you know what? You know, maybe we can find some place else to go eat or somewhere else we can go to listen to music or whatever. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this.
Wake Up With Me. Hey, it's WTMJ's Greg Mantic. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8.30 for Mantic's Morning Minute. Everything you need to know about all your favorite Wisconsin teams in just 60 seconds. Lob pass up top from Middleton to Giannis, who flushes it through with a left hand. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8.30 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Get up! Get up! Get way out of here and go! Sponsored by Holiday Automotive in Fond du Lac. This is WTMJ's Jeff Wagner for the Freighter at Medical College of Wisconsin's Health Network. Check out the latest everyday health discussion I had regarding strokes with neurologist Dr. Merrick Searney. You'll learn what a stroke is, how you can minimize your chances of having one, the signs and symptoms of stroke, and when to call 911, along with treatments and rehabilitation after suffering a stroke. In other words, we cover a lot of ground. You can listen to that conversation and all our previous everyday health discussions simply by visiting the Features drop-down menu at WTMJ. TMJ.com. I'm Randy Miller, owner of All Right Home and Remodeling. This is the time of year we get lots of calls about roof leaks. And the interesting thing is that often these quote-unquote leaks have nothing to do with the roof at all. We see a lot of water spots on ceilings that are really caused by condensation dripping in the attic due to poor insulation. Studies show about 90% of U.S. homes are under-insulated. Is your home one of them? We can help you find out. For roofing, siding, insulation, and more, visit A-L-L-R-I-T-E Remodeling. Individual rates, coverage, offerings, and savings may vary. Subject to terms and conditions not available in all areas. If you're a small business owner, listen up. Pi Insurance wants to give you one of those aha moments, the kind that could save you money. Workers' comp is probably one of the biggest costs you face. But did you know that insurance providers have flexibility in setting their prices? That's right. But many don't bother giving small businesses the savings you deserve. Instead, you can get lumped in with other businesses and overcharged. Pi Insurance was created to change that. With Pi, you get a quote tailored specifically to your business, and you could save up to 30% with no hassle and no hidden fees. And with helpful representatives just a call away, it's easy to understand why Pi is rated excellent by customers on Trustpilot. Take three minutes to see how much you could save with Pi Insurance. Ask your agent for Pi or go to trypi.com. That's T-R-Y-P-I-E.com. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. number of people are, are, are tweeting me about this. Jeff, what happens in downtown Milwaukee absolutely impacts coming into the city. The Triple I Shrine Circus this weekend had unprecedented low attendance for shows that are usually sold out day of performance. Was so sad. I hope it doesn't impact future events. Uh, somebody else texted me and said that, you know, a couple people affiliated with the Triple I Shrine Circus came into a bar the guy was in in West Dallas and just said, nobody. Nobody at all downtown where they would normally, um, you know, go to places. Jeff, Water Street, right down the street from the mayor's office. Awful. Can you imagine from being out of town and turning on the local news, how scared would you end up being? Well, the headline in the local paper says, Business sluggish at downtown Milwaukee bars two days after Deer District shootings injured 21 after Bucks game. Oh, business sluggish. No, no. My response is, no kidding, it would be sluggish at downtown Milwaukee bars two days after the Deer District shootings injured 21 after the 
Bucks game. I mean, here's the bottom line. It, it's not going to be sluggish if leaders can't figure out how to deal with this problem. It's going to be absolutely non-existent. And you would hate to see some of these entertainment districts in, like, say, the Water Street area. You would hate to see that become the next Northridge. But the truth of the matter is, until, you know, people, there's all sorts of places that people can go to spend their money and have a good time. And like I was saying earlier, if if you are afraid that you cannot go down there and not get shot or not get robbed, the only people that are going to be down there are the people that are looking to create problems. And they sure did that the other night. But this is not a unique phenomena. Is your car going to be on the streets? Or are you going to be one of the 20 to 25 people a day who have your car stolen? You've got to get a handle on this, don't you? Let's talk to Vic in Mount Pleasant. Vic, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I just want to bring to mind, uh, you remember a time, and I do, when I used to go to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was a beautiful place to visit. I love going down there, uh, my wife and me. Uh, we had an elderly friend who recently passed on. He was an older man. I have a mom who lives not too far a time because of the crime rate, as bad as what it's become. Uh, she had her place broken in. I'm sorry, I'm going to drop you there because you used the word that we cannot say on the radio, and I ended up dumping it there. So, um, but, but I appreciate you. You were talking about the, the problems that, you know, you're, you're seeing, you know, on the streets and all. And that is a, it is a significant, you know, impact that's there. Jeff, I've been an MU season ticket holder for 40 years, but likely not next season. I only feel truly safe parking in the Fiserv ramp, but that's 30 bucks to 40 bucks a pop. I certainly don't want to park on the street. I think I'm going to watch the games on TV. Well, I mean, I think there, there is a factor of that that's there. Jeff, I'm personally not avoiding downtown because several of my adult children live there, but I fear for the businesses, and in particular, I'm afraid we're going to lose the Republican National Convention because of the seemingly escalation of violent crime. Um, well, yeah, you've got that factor that's there as well. Jeff, I've not taken advantage of the Deer District venue, although I do think the events of Friday night help. I think the change in, do not help. I think the change in climate and the culture um, has been deterrent to many over the past couple years. I do not think that those who are making an unsafe environment are representative of those trying to enjoy the Deer District. No, I don't, I, by the way, don't disagree with with that. I, and that's why I've been saying all along, I think it is a, a sm- relatively small percentage of people, but you, you, that's it, it doesn't matter. Bullets don't care. If you've got, I don't care if you've got 2,000 people there, if you've got 20 or 30 that show up and they're pulling out guns and shooting at everybody else, that that's going to discourage all the rest of those people from, you know, coming. And, and that's just the reality. Um, Jeff, I, I've sent you a couple notes on this. Me, my friends, my family that live in the Fox Valley have voted with our feet. We're not planning on coming to Milwaukee this summer. We'll spend our money at the Dells and in Dora County. Um, and that that is unfortunate. And I think, look, if you're if you're asking me, Jeff, do you think Miller Park, Miller Park, American Family Field is safe? My my answer is absolutely. If you say, Jeff, are you going to go to Summerfest? Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to go to Summerfest. There's no question about it. But I do think you have to be 
careful and cautious. I do think that there's all sorts of questions about, hey, do you want to put your car on the street in this particular area? Jeff, absolutely. I don't go downtown. I don't go to Summerfest. I don't go to Mayfair. I don't drive the main thoroughfares, Capitol Drive, etc. Why? Because of the out-of-control violence. I never thought I'd see this day. Most of the things I enjoyed for years in Milwaukee, I don't feel safe doing these days. I, I was on with, with Mike Spaulding and Melissa Barkley on, on Saturday. We were talking about this. And, I, I, you know, every once in a while when I talk about this, I get some of these tweets from people saying, oh, you're just running down Milwaukee, you know. And, and No, look, I grew up here. And I, what what's going on breaks my heart. I, I grew up in Glendale, Wisconsin. My parents lived a couple blocks from Nicolay High School. When I was a kid, before we were old enough, before I was old enough to drive, what we would regularly do on Saturdays, we would walk over to, I, worked, I was about a half mile away from Bayshore. We would either walk or dr- be dropped off at Bayshore Shopping Center, me and a couple of my buddies. We would hop on a bus. The number, I think it was number 30, Oakland, Delaware. We'd pick the bus up at Bayshore. We'd drive down Oakland, and it would wind its way through the east side, and it would drop us off on the corner, this was on Saturdays, of Wisconsin and Water Street. And, and we'd get out there, and we'd, we'd spend the day kind of walking up and down Wisconsin Avenue. There was all sorts of stuff going on. It, 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 was, it was just absolutely great. It was a tremendous tremendous thing to, to be able to do. Well, nowadays, would, would, would you do that? Would, would you let your 14-year-old kid get on a bus and go down in, in, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon with, with all the stuff that's going on? And the answer is absolutely not. I miss those days. And look, and I'm not trying to be... I'm, I'm not trying to say, okay, well, you know, don't you understand that it's not all Norman Rockwell now and things have changed? Of course they have, but they haven't changed this much. You cannot allow all these wonderful attractions that we have in the city to go under because you have this criminal element. But yet that is the reality that is out there nowadays. And until you get a handle on this, this is always going to be a problem. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin Retirement System. This covers employees of the UW System, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ's Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS Potential, that is coming up on Wednesday. That's Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age or retirement status, learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions, register for the free webinar at AnnexWealth.com slash events. Um, you know, it's just one of these ongoing frustrations. A number of people are texting me saying, you know, is John Chisholm saying anything about this? No, John Chisholm's not saying anything about it. John Chisholm's probably looking through the criminal records of all the people that have been caught, and we only catch a fraction of the people for the shootings and the violent crimes and trying to, to figure out how many people had already been through his office and how many are on some form of supervision. I have in my hands a, a statement from Tim Michaels, and Tim Michaels is one of the people running for the Republican nomination for governor. And um, at, at least at least in this campaign, 
we, we are, I think, going to be talking about, you know, some of the issues. So here's the thing. Tim Michaels releases public safety back the blue print. That's kind of clever. Among the key points of the Michaels public safety blueprint, let me just give you a couple of things that he's calling for. Fire Milwaukee County DA John Chisholm on day one. Incentivize the hiring of more police officers, particularly in our most dangerous neighborhoods. So I think that's good. Create new mandatory minimum penalties for felons possessing guns. Well, that's, I think, certainly good. Beef up the court system to allow for speedier trials. Can't go wrong with that. Create a RICO-like provision to investigate and prosecute riot organizers. I'm all for that. Expose weak prosecutors and judges through greater access to public information. I'm 100% with that. But part of that falls on those of us in the media to call attention to when people get arrested and charged with crimes, call attention to their their backgrounds and ask questions about why they're out on the street. And as I've been arguing for the longest time, more accessibility into juvenile records so if you've got a kid that's been stealing cars for seven or eight times let, let's let the public know that there's the kid that's stealing cars allow judges to consider multiple factors when setting bail replace the aging green bay prison with a larger modern facility no problem with that but i guess the bottom line is you can agree or disagree with a lot of stuff that michaels is talking about but one of the interesting things is it's very clear that over the next several months in the race for governor, we will at least be talking about some of these criminal justice issues, and I think that's a good thing. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thank goodness for elections. What are you talking about, Jeff? We, we God, we, we just, we hate it. There's all those ads and stuff. And you can't turn on a television without seeing this, how awful that is. Well, thank goodness for elections, because if it wasn't for the fact that this was an election year, I can almost guarantee you that something that happened over the weekend would not have happened. What am I talking about? Well, remember last week we discussed the fact that the head of the parole commission, Tony Evers' parole commission, the guy's name is John Tate. He's a former Racine social worker who is, well, what, I mean, he, he's been very, very public about the fact that he he wants to parole people. That That's that's the mission. We don't want to keep people in prison for longer than I think is, is necessary. And the you-know-what hit the fan over the last week or so because Tate wanted to parole a guy named um, Douglas Balzowitz. Uh, Balzowitz is the guy who at the age of, I don't know, he was probably at 29 in 1997, murdered his his wife in front of their children ages two and four stabbed the woman 42 times and i I will just i'm just going to kind of revert back to my previous life as a prosecutor and stuff The, the amount of rage that you have to have to kill somebody with a knife much less stab them 42 times i mean just think there just imagine that with me for a second about how how long this would have to be and how much anger and hatred and hostility and viciousness and violence you would have to have in you to stab somebody 42 times not to mention the fact that you're doing it in front of her her, her two and four year old kids so he gets convicted 
He is sentenced in 1997 to 80 years in prison. The sentencing judge was Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Diane Sykes, who went on to be a state Supreme Court justice and now sits on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. At sentencing, Judge Sykes said, you should never be paroled. I can't control what a parole commission does sometime in the future, but you should never be out. So flash forward to this year, and the Tony Evers Parole Commission, led by this guy named John Tate, decides that they're going to parole this guy. Well, he, he served 24 years. Um, you know, we, we think that, you know, that's that's enough of a punishment for brutally murdering somebody. And, and so we're going to turn him loose. Now, the family members, understandably, freak out about this because, you know, their their daughter, their sister, their their mother never saw another sunrise because of, of this behavior. And now you've got the Evers Parole Commission that's going to turn this guy loose after 24 years. So there is a huge uproar. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, I, I've got, you know, some of the Evers uh, press conferences. Uh, Channel 12 in particular was following him around saying, aren't, aren't you going to do something about this? What do you think? And there's there's one, it's it's just classic, and you will see it, I think, in ads later on. Evers is, his, his like, aides are trying to keep the reporter away from him, and he's like, I'm just walking out the door. And to which I, my response was, truer words have never been spoken. So anyhow, what happens on Friday is Evers apparently calls head of the parole commission and says, I, I don't think this should happen. We, we, we got to do something about this. Now, I will tell you this. I would be shocked if this were not an election year. Would Tony Evers have made that phone call? And I, I mean, I'll give you odds on that he wouldn't. But he understands he's very vulnerable on the crime issues. And so he calls up the parole commissioner and he says, I, I just don't think that this guy should be paroled. And then am- amazingly, the parole is rescinded. Now, this is going to lead to all sorts of other you know, legal questions about, you know, can you can you do this? Can you pull back the parole after you've already granted it? Here's the other question, though, that people in the media should be asking but nobody has done this as of yet. So the guy was scheduled to be paroled on Tuesday. Apparently, they have pulled that back. But here's here's how it works in parole systems. Even if you are denied parole, okay, so we're not going to let you out Tuesday, the parole commissioners then set the time that you are eligible next for parole. And it could be a year it could be two years. It could be nine months. So here, here is the follow-up question that somebody should ask the governor or the parole commission, which is, okay, if you're not going to let this brutal murderer out on Tuesday, that's all good, well and good. And like I say, I mean, this is clearly an election year thing, and Evers didn't want to get beat up over this issue. He didn't want to see ads run against him for several months. So he reaches out, and his his guy on the parole commission, I, I mean, decides to give in, I, I guess. That's that's the only way you can interpret this. But, but that's all well and good. But here is my question, which is, when is this murderer next going to be eligible for parole? And by that I mean, if you pull it back, Okay, we've pulled this back because it's an election year and we're getting beaten up really badly. What if, okay, so we're sitting here, it's May, June, July, August, September, October, November, six months and you're past the election, right? Six months you're past the election. So my question is, all right, if you're saying that you're not going to parole him now, 
when are you next going to consider him for parole? Is it going to be six months? Is it going to be nine months? Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be two years? Is it going to be three years? Because otherwise, I I think it's a reasonable follow-up question to say, is is this nothing but a sham where you you make the issue go away until after the election? Yeah, that's okay. We'll keep him in jail for another six months or nine months. And then what we'll do is we'll parole him in January after the election, and we won't have to worry about this being a campaign issue. So that's the fundamental question that needs to be asked. That's fine. All right. When is he next going to be eligible to be paroled? And is this just an election year stunt to move the parole eligibility back a few months to get it past the November elections and hope that this election issue goes away? Now, you know, I guess you can figure out for yourself where that is. But but here's the bottom line of this. Just like with the Waukesha Christmas parade deaths. And the fact that the guy who was responsible for that was out on a stupid low bail. And, and my point all along has been this this is not an atypical case. That The fact that the guy was out on the stupid low bail and killed all those people and injured you know dozens and dozens of others, that's what got the attention. But there are crimes being committed on a daily basis in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County for people who are out on those stupid low bails. That's just the tip. The Daryl Brooks case was just the tip of the iceberg. I, I think this Douglas Balzowitz parole matter is, again, just the tip of the iceberg with what has been going on under Tony Evers and with his parole commission over the course of the last couple of years. And and maybe by pulling this one back, you think you can make the issue go away for a little bit. But, all right, some intrepid media folks, maybe you should start looking at some of the other people who've been subject to early release and asking what the heck is that all about? Just saying. Bottom line is, for everybody who complains about elections, though, in this case, in my opinion at least, if it wasn't an election year, there's no way that Evers intervenes. There's no way that the head of the parole commission changes his mind, and there's no way that this killer would not have otherwise been released, but for the fear that the voters would hold them accountable and this would be a campaign issue. So I I guess... Yeah, it's good that this is an election year. It's bad that we're going to have to worry about this, though, after the next election. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, Milwaukee, of course, was not the only city plagued by out-of-control violence this weekend. And, And the story... Um, from New York State, just it's it's just almost almost unthinkable that stuff like this continues to happen in this country. Of course, I'm referring to the <clears throat> the teenager who you know goes to the, the supermarket in in Buffalo and ends up you know killing ten people. It's very very apparent to me that this psychopath was intending to do that it's very apparent to me that this was a a racially motivated hate crime he selected black people that he wanted to shoot and kill and and he was unfortunately successful and able to do that and now he's kind of been taken into custody and what they're doing is they're finding all these different manifestos that this kid had published and things like that indicating that you know that this you know pretty much if there was a wacko 
racist theory that was out there floating around on the Internet, th- this this guy embraced it. And now, you know, we're asking ourselves the usual questions about how can how can somebody do something like this and how can people have this much hate in them? And, and you know, why why was this allowed to happen? And, you know, none of us have any great answers about this. I guess I, I do look back at this and say, once again, we have a situation where the red flags were all there. And, you know, in the, one, in the 12 o'clock hour of the program, we were talking about access to guns and things like that. One of the things that we need to be much better at, much better, is we need to keep guns out of the hands of people who are dangerously mentally ill. Now, the problem is... How do you know that somebody is dangerously mentally ill? That's one of the big problems, for example, with the civil commitment laws in the state of Wisconsin, that as a general rule, before you can have somebody committed against their will, you have to prove that they are a danger to themselves or a danger to others. Okay, well, it's it's I don't want to say impossible, but it's very difficult to do that until they've acted out and demonstrated something that they've done something dangerous to someone else or to themselves. And by then, of course, it's it, it's too late in this particular situation. It is very, very clear that there were all the red flag warning signs that something was dangerously amiss with this this kid. And, you know, his, his name is, I, I don't, I'm not even going to mention his name. Sometimes I think these people want attention. I'm not going to mention his name. But, I mean, there, there's no doubt that, you know, he had apparently, you know, told, you know, other of his classmates that he had wanted to go on, on a shooting spree. I mean, apparently we we'd had mental health professionals, and I use that term in quotation marks, who, who came in and, and were they were so worried about him that, that he, they were investigating him and stuff like that. But it, it now they apparently cleared him. They said, well, you know, we we don't he said he's just kidding. So, you know, we don't think that there's any sort of concern to which my comment would be. It is not normal for 16 or 17 or 18 year old people, you know, to talk about wanting to kill other people and things like that. And this is another one of these examples. I'm all in favor of what we talk about, the, the red flag laws, making it more difficult for potentially dangerous, mentally ill people to to get firearms and things like that. Because right now, there was no restriction stopping this guy from buying a gun. Of course, there should have been restrictions stopping him from buying a gun. So I think one of the things that we do need to look at is, you know, what sort of criteria are we going to apply to when you have people that I don't know, prepare manifestos talking about how they're, you know, inclined to go out and and shoot people. When people go onto the Internet, and I'm not talking about censoring the Internet. Matter of fact, this is probably the opposite of that. When people go out and publicly express manifestos and talking about hate, maybe that should be like the trigger point that causes authorities to start investigating these people and decide, okay, do we need to do something? Do we need to be more liberal in our use of of some of these different rules that we have with regard to mental illness to, at the very least, stop people who are exhibiting these antisocial tendencies to stop them from being able to get guns. I mean, you want to talk about who's going to have to answer questions. To me, it's it's the people that evaluated this person a year or two ago and apparently didn't think 
that the things he was saying back then were serious enough to cause him to actually act out like he did. And I, I think there would be more stuff coming out as well. I mean, what did the parents know? All that sort of stuff. Because, again, you don't get like this overnight. You, you just don't. It's like I always say, you know, you, you don't just show up, wake up one day and say, this is the day I'm going to stick a gun in my waistband and go down to Water Street and start shooting into crowds. You, you just don't do that. There's a there, there's a pattern of behavior that leads up to that. Similarly, you don't just wake up one morning or one week and say, OK, today is the day I'm going to drive 200 miles to Buffalo and I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to outfit it. I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to get a large capacity magazine and I'm going to walk into a supermarket and I'm going to start shooting uh, black people. You don't just wake up one one day or one week and decide that that's where you are. It's something that I'm willing to bet you're going to find a large progression of this and why people didn't see it and why people weren't able to head it off. I mean, that that's the question. We, we need to get better at identifying that if we're going to at least come close to trying to stop something like this. Absolutely horrible. It is despicable behavior. It is unthinkable behavior. And it happens way too much, but maybe we need to be more aggressive with our mental health laws in identifying these people who clearly have problems. And this guy clearly had a problem, and it was apparent or should have been apparent to a lot of people a couple years ago. So very glad to have you with us. We are going to switch gears in the next hour of the program, matter of fact, right after the 2 o'clock news, I'm going to be joined by the uh, president of the War Memorial Center. This is um, Armed Forces Week, and uh, there's a big event at the War Memorial um, occurring tomorrow. We're going to talk about that um, and give you a chance to find out a little bit more about it should you want to attend. And then we'll, we'll do a couple things. I'm going to say maybe they're lighter, but maybe not necessarily that. But want to move away from just the, the unacceptable level of violence and all the things that have happened over the course of the last several days. We want to talk about it's completely different. And we've avoided talking about the Bucks. I, I, I think that they had a great season. I think that uh, the better team won. I think the great Bucks are a great team. I think some of their deficiencies, especially without Chris Middleton, got exposed, and they just kind of ran out of gas. And I think you know now you you plan for for next year, and I think they probably need one more shooter, and they need uh, one or two players that plays a little more intense defense, get that defensive stopper. But anytime you got Giannis, you're going to be a contender to win the title again. It's very difficult in the NBA to win titles back to back. So I think we shouldn't be too disappointed. We should just say, hey, they had a great season and. Get them again starting in October, and in the interim, go Brewers. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Today marks the start of Milwaukee Armed Forces Week. Now, this Saturday is Armed Forces Day, which is recognized across the country. And interestingly, Milwaukee has one of the largest armed forces celebrations in the nation. And it all leads up to what ends up happening on, on Saturday, 
which there's a there's a Harley ride, there's this military displays at the Harley Museum. But between now and then, there's all sorts of events um, in order to to celebrate again Armed Forces Day. And like I say, the Milwaukee Armed Forces Committee do, does a tremendous job tonight. There is a, an enormous banquet that's going to be held downtown. It is my great honor to um, emcee that. I've been doing that for a number of years. That the banquet sold out. It's going to just be a, a packed crowd at the Wisconsin Club, and it's always one of the things that I look forward to doing every year. But there's a number of other events. There, there's luncheons, there's breakfasts, there's educational activities, and and then there's something else that, that's open to the public. And quite candidly, it's something that I think a lot of people might like to attend. And we are joined Stick right around. now by. Oh, Jeff oh, I'm sorry, I hit the, the wrong button. That's the second time I have done that today. Well, we are joined right now by Dan Buttery, who is the president of the War Memorial. Dan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And as you said earlier, what a beautiful day to be uh, kicking off Armed Forces Week, Jeff. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, as I was saying, there's a number of different events in connection with this. Some are are closed to the public. Some are open to the public. But there's going to be something happening at the War Memorial tomorrow that is, in fact, open to the public that that I think everybody should know about because it sounds like something absolutely tremendous. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, sir. So... We are launching this year at the War Memorial the Medal of Honor year. This marks the 160th anniversary since Wisconsin's first uh, individual who was part of the 14th Wisconsin during the Civil War, who his actions led to the Medal of Honor. And we have a very special event tomorrow night here at the War Memorial Center, which is focused on one of those 64 historical representatives of the Medal of Honor, the Saijon story, and Janine Saijon, Lance Saijon's sister, will be here. She uh, she helped develop a documentary about Lance's Lance's story. Uh, we lose him; he dies in Vietnam in custody. But the the story is beyond. It's so compelling, uh, Jeff. It's just an amazing an amazing story to be told of one of Wisconsin's native sons, Lance P. Saijon. And uh, tomorrow evening, uh, tickets are still available. The uh, we'll be naming the road coming into the War Memorial at 6:15 tomorrow night, Lance P. John Way, and then immediately following that, doors open at 6:30 for individuals to take in and watch the documentary and the story about Lance P. John. And uh, the, the ticket price extremely reasonable, and right. With, and matter of fact, for military veterans, there's a discount. But I mean, how, how much do tickets cost? Yeah, so it's twenty dollars. Uh, proceeds for the t- uh, for these tickets are going to help build the Medal of Honor exhibit. So it's important for everyone to understand this is actually going to help us uh, build the first Wisconsin's first Medal of Honor permanent exhibit here at the War Memorial to tell the story of all sixty four. But uh, twenty dollars uh, at the door. They can buy them online now. They can go to WarMemorialCenter.org to our events page. And uh, or, as I said, they can show up tomorrow and, and purchase tickets. Uh, Dan, for yeah. people who might not be familiar with the Lance Sijon story, what, what exactly what happened if, in kind of in a nutshell? Well, if you if you go to the Air Force Academy today out in out in Colorado, 
they renamed the atrium lance the landside john atrium they have the highest award that they uh, that they award to the air force academy uh, alum as they're as they're going through the academy uh, the landside john award he was an f4 pilot um, the munitions on his jet exploded before he released it, and he eventually evades uh, being captured for 45 days in the jungle, um, eventually getting captured and really being tortured, but never giving up anything other than what he would say, his name and his rank um, and his, who he was. And the events occur in the late 60s. He dies in custody at the, at the prison but not until all the other POW survivors who are released in the mid-70s do they start realizing, because they started to share his story, and he gave inspiration to all those POWs who spent sometimes upwards to six and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton and the Vietnam prisons. And so they all leaned to him, and they saw his resilience and his toughness to give them the inspiration to to go, to move on. Because I, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but uh, spending six and a half years in a, in a prison camp um, under some of those extreme conditions like they were, I, I just don't know how they did it. And this is a story of what he did to inspire the fellow Vietnam POWs. But it's also beyond that because he was just such an amazing individual. His character, his compassion. And Janine, his sister, who knew him, she she was uh, in her teens when he went off to the Air Force Academy. She'll be as She'll be here presenting the movie and doing a Q&A after the documentary show. So it's really, it's a really special evening to be able to not only tell Lance's story, but also who he was. So it's not just about the war and the conflict and the battle. It's about the individual, the character, and what it takes to achieve that level of Medal of Honor recipient in the eyes of all the other uh, military veterans who were observing what he was going through. So it's it's truly, truly an amazing story. Yeah, plus, the, and, and by the way, there's plenty, there, there's, there's, there's parking, so people don't need to be concerned about that. So the, the access is, is easy. But it's also a chance yeah. to see the War Memorial, because you've got a lot of exciting stuff going on down there. We do. So uh, I took over two years ago, January, just before the pandemic, and we have introduced about 14 new programs and initiatives since uh, since coming in. And, of course, Memorial Day, it's in our name. That's our, our big date that is coming up at the end of this month. And uh, in a, in a in two weeks, uh, the community has the opportunity to place flags in Veterans Park. This year, we're placing 12,301 flags uh, out in Veterans Park behind the uh, General MacArthur statue. And uh, that will remember the 12,301 Wisconsinites who died in service fighting the Civil War. And I don't think many people realize that uh, that number. Those flags will stay up through the weekend of Memorial Day, so you don't have to just be here on Memorial Day. They'll start to go in place on Thursday, and then uh, we'll keep them in place until Tuesday um, uh, following Memorial Day. And then we have the uh, just so many so many activities. I, I don't want to <laughs> take too much time on it. Um, uh, War Memorial Center. Org. Uh, go to our events page. Uh, some amazing activities, but uh, you know that's one. That's only three years that we've done this, Jeff, and everybody keeps coming back. Just, just amazed at the uh, the emotion of, of the day of the field of flags and having it on display uh, in remembering our fallen. And that's that's what this is about on Memorial Day. It's remembering uh, those who did not come home in service to our nation. So once again, in as part of Milwaukee Armed Forces Week tomorrow. 
Um, May 17th, 6.30 p.m., there's going to be the screening of Lan- of the film. It's called Saijon, A Quest for Freedom. Um, Lance's sister yeah. is going to be there. 6.15, there's a renaming of, of the road that lead that, that road. I know exactly where you're talking about. So, you know, people want to get down there early. You can buy tickets online. I'm looking at your website now. It's one word, warmemorialcenter.org slash events and you can read a description of this entire thing and I, I hope you just have a, an outstanding turnout because this is you know a lot of times Dan I, I talk to people and they say we I, I wish we could do more things to you know recognize our military and learn more about stuff and this sounds like just a great opportunity to do exactly that yeah it is and it's one where we have a number of veterans who will be here and then as I said family members of our fallen and so it's it's just a powerful way and a very meaningful way to uh, to have impact going into ultimately Memorial Day weekend. So again, thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, helping get the word out on this. And to uh, and I'll, I'll see you uh, at the uh, the ceremony tonight, actually. I'm, I'm very much looking forward. I've heard 10 years, 10 years, uh, Mr. Wagner, that you've been emceeing this event. So yeah. uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. It'll well, it is. I'm, I'm actually very touched. They, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting their Citizens Award this year, and it is it is one of the yeah. great honors of my professional career, and I say that honestly. It, when, when when the whole thing came out, I because I'm the MC, I get copies on all these emails and I got this email saying oh you're, you're getting this award and I, I thought it was sent to somebody else I didn't realize they were sending it to me so I'm I am I am very honored I, I this, today's my birthday and I cannot think of a better way to celebrate my birthday than being with everybody tonight so I will look forward to okay. seeing you sir thanks you thanks for joining me I appreciate it so Thank you, Jeff. that's Dan Buttery, who's the president of the War Memorial Center uh, this is Milwaukee Armed Forces Week and um, if if you're looking for something to do tomorrow night, this would be great. First of all, it would be a great opportunity to go see the War Memorial Center again. You, I think if you haven't been there for a few years, you, you might not recognize it. But, again, it, it's I think tickets are 15 or $20, 20 bucks. I think. It, it, it's not uh, – it, there's, there's plenty of parking that, that's right down there. I, I think this is going to be a very, very compelling presentation. And, um, like I say, a lot of veterans will be there as well. So tomorrow, as part of Armed Forces Services, Milwaukee Armed Forces Services Week, uh, the screening of the film, Saijon, A Quest for Freedom, featuring Lance Saijon's sister, Janine, who will be um, speaking and answering questions. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, that, that sounds like an absolutely great opportunity. And like I say, if you see all sorts of military stuff uh, going on around this area, it, it is because it's Milwaukee Armed Forces Week. And like I say, it all culminates next Saturday in big events that they have at the Harley um, Museum, including a, including a Harley ride. It's, um, you know, it, it is every once in a while you you find people who miscalculate things that they think something's going to work in one direction and then it, it just they, they completely miss the boat it, it turns out to be something that, that's completely wrong and i believe that if you want to look at an epic miscalculation which has unfortunately caused 
tens of thousands of deaths and disrupted the lives of millions of people. That would be the decision that Vladimir Putin made to invade Ukraine. Now, you know, that happened in November. I mean, it's just it's well, I mean, the the actual invasion occurred in in February, but it, it goes back to like November when people started like massing for troops and things like that. And I think the plan and the thinking was, gee, he's going to be able to invade Ukraine and Ukrainians are going to view the Russians as conquering heroes, liberating them from this government they don't like. I think Putin anticipated that the military operation would take, I don't know, a couple days and they they would win. And then, you know, you'd have Ukraine essentially ceasing to exist as a country or if it exists as a country, it is just as a sort of a a vassal state to to um, Russia. Well, none of that has turned out to be the case. Um, Russia was not the Russian troops were not viewed as conquering heroes. Ukraine has put up an incredible um, resistance to the point the Russian military has been exposed as somewhat of a paper tiger. Um, the, the forces have not been able to accomplish what they sought to accomplish. They've now retreated. They've changed their attitude about what they're going to accomplish in the war. And even now, they're, they're being pushed out of areas that they had previously occupied. On top of that, by doing what they've done, Russia has become an international pariah, or at least certainly a pariah among among the West. One of the reasons that Vladimir Putin wanted to take over Ukraine was he wanted a, a buffer. He was afraid in his mind that, gee, maybe the, the West is going to, I don't know, maybe take over Ukraine themselves and use that as a way to, to threaten Russia. Well, by invading Ukraine and showing his true nature, other countries in the area, including countries that previously you know, have decided have decided that they want to be neutral. They they wanted no part of joining NATO because they they wanted to be neutral. And I'm talking specifically about Finland and Sweden. These are countries that historically had been neutral. Well, what happened is they have seen what Russia is capable of doing, and th- th- this light bulb went off. And like people in Finland are saying, well, gosh, if if Russia can do this to Ukraine. Um, why why can't they do it to us? And there's there's no answer to that. The fact is that they could. So now you have Finland and and Sweden. Finland moving a little bit faster than Sweden, but both fast tracking their requests to be members of NATO. So now Putin, whose concern was, gee, I don't want NATO on my borders. Now what he's done is he's given the green light to some of these countries that otherwise. If if there had not been an invasion of Ukraine, Finland and Sweden would not be petitioning NATO to come in, and NATO wouldn't be pushing them to become members. But now, because of the fear of Putin's invasion, now he's driven some of these pre- previously neutral countries, he's, he's driven them to NATO. So on, on so many levels, I think Putin also figured there's no way the West can be can be united. I mean, you've got places like Germany that depend on Russian oil and Russian gas, and and they're going to be so dependent on that that there's no way that they're going to stay unified with 
with Great Britain and Italy and the other places, there's no way, that, and the United States, that they're going to be unified against us. And, and what's happened is, again, this aggression has been so out of control and so over the top that all these countries in Europe have decided, look, Russia really is this major threat. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to cut off the oil supplies. And, yes, we're going to try to figure out other ways, and we're going to turn Russia into that international pariah that I was talking about. It Again, it's amazing how you can so badly miscalculate, and now the, I, you don't know what the exit ramp is. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has caused, I don't know, billions of dollars worth of damage to the Ukraine economy. You've destroyed these cities. Putin, I think, you know, wanted a military outcome. Well, he's not going to get the military outcome. They say about a third of the Russian army that has entered into this war in Ukraine has been destroyed, and they're, I I think, on all these levels, they're losing. Now you have, I don't know, NATO that's supplying more and more arms to Ukraine. Ukraine's using it to fight Russia. Putin is losing. The West is pretty much united. The country is being harmed um, economically, and now you've got countries that are joining uh, NATO, like Finland and Sweden. In the epic in the history of miscalculations about what you thought was going to happen and what actually did happen, I think, you know, certainly in the last 30 or 40 years, it would be tough to find a miscalculation more epic than that made by Vladimir Putin. And, uh, you know, people wonder what, like I say, what the off-ramp is, what the exit strategy for Russia is. I, I don't know, but I th- would imagine that, The more the war goes on, the more Russia bleeds economically, the more there are not military successes, the more precarious Putin's position becomes in in Russia. And you wonder how all this ends. Hopefully it ends finally peacefully. Hopefully there is a ceasefire. Hopefully Russia pulls back. And hopefully, I don't know, the Russian people decide that maybe we need a new form of leadership. But that's just me. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I know more people in the last month who have been diagnosed with COVID than I want to say more. I, 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 Maybe not more people that I know that got diagnosed with COVID during the last, you know, two years, but certainly in the last month, I know more people personally that have been diagnosed with COVID than I would certainly say in any time over the course of of the ongoing pandemic. And I just, I could, I could tick them off to you. I'm talking about people I, I work with. I'm talking about people who are personal friends of mine. I'm talking about people who are casual acquaintances. It seems like on an almost daily basis over the course of the last couple weeks, it seems that either I'm hearing, oh, so-and-so just tested positive for COVID, or, gee, we're supposed to go do something with so-and-so tomorrow night, but he can't go because he's just got COVID. It's it's all these things, or you were going to be introducing so-and-so tonight at this event. Well, they can't be there because they've got COVID. It's it's just one after another. Now, the good news, and, and I say this honestly, is that in every case, the people that I know who have COVID have not been, well, okay, with one exception, with one exception, the people I know who've had COVID have have really not been sick at at all. I mean, maybe, like like I'd say, okay, 
how do you feel? What are the, how do you feel about it? And, and it's like, well, it's, it's like a mild cold with the emphasis of, of mild cold. That, that's the way it's described. Or I feel absolutely fine. I'm just, I, some people are telling me we were just, you know, stunned, but it was one of those deals where, you know, we got a notice that we were at an event and so and so attested positive and you might want to check yourself and they go, they, take one of those at-home COVID tests and they're shocked that they turn out to, you know, have, have COVID. So I, it, it's a large number of people. Now, again, because because people are vaccinated and they're boosted and, and maybe they've had it, the, the effects, at least among the people I know, have been minimal. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm just saying, you know, they're not in the hospital. They're not looking at being on ventilators. It's like, Okay, it's more of an inconvenience than anything because, you know, obviously they have to quarantine and you can't do stuff for, you know, whatever that period of time is. But I I swear, more people being diagnosed and testing positive for COVID in the last couple of weeks than at any time over the last couple of months. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be cha- to change. It certainly seems to me that there is sort of a resurgence of this. But again, not not in the hey you're in the hospital you're on death's door it's just for a lot of people like i say it's it's at least people i know it's it's an inconvenience and and maybe a little bit of of people not being comfortable but it's not a life-threatening sort of situation okay well we are in many respects we are we are past and i i've argued this before and i know a couple of you disagree with me but this is just the reality we are by and large i think as a society at least in this country, we're, we're past the lockdown stage. I, I don't see us going back to, hey, we're going to close or certain businesses close. That That's just not going to happen. Or I don't think it's going to happen. We're now past the mask mandate sort of things. Now, there might be some school systems or whatever who you know restore this. But as a general rule, I, I think people have gone on and decided, okay, COVID is becoming kind of endemic now. We're just going to go ahead and live our lives. And we understand that if we get it, well, maybe we're going to be uncomfortable for a couple of days, but we're willing to, quote unquote, live with this. And my guess is this is going to be the way it is for the near future, as you've got, you know, different variations of the virus that, that spread. And even, I mean, the people I know who are getting it are people who've had COVID before, people who've been vaccinated, people who've been boosted. In one case, they were not only been vaccinated and boosted, but they received that, that double booster. And they still, you know, they're, they're still getting COVID. Now, again, they're not in a hospital. They're not that sick. So that's the good thing. But my question is, given that COVID is making a resurgence and given that we don't have government requirements, for example, that to, to wear a mask on a plane, right? You, the government's not forcing you to do that anymore. Joe Biden would like to do it, but the courts say he doesn't have the authority to do it. That doesn't mean that people can't choose to do it. doesn't mean that people, if you're going out into a public area, you can't choose to wear a mask. doesn't mean if you're getting on an airplane, you can't choose to wear a mask on, on an airplane. But even though I think people have that choice, and even though that we do see a resurgence in the numbers of COVID, but thankfully not the deaths and the hospitalizations, it's not like it was you know, a year and a half ago, I still don't get the sense that people are, are ready to go back and, and voluntarily put on the masks and things like that. My sense is that people are now at a point where they're just willing to live with, with the risks, understanding that 
And I believe me, I understand COVID's not the flu. I get it. But just like, hey, if you get the flu, you're you're going to stay home until you feel better. If you get COVID, you're going to stay home until you clear quarantine. And people are willing to live with that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the CDC reiterating the importance of masks and public transportation in public places and on airplanes. I, I don't get the sense, though, that people are back at that point. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As, as I was saying earlier, and, and maybe your experience is different, but I doubt it. I, I know more people who've been diagnosed with COVID in the, the last month than, than and certainly at any point in time in the last you know two years during the pandemic. But again, the good news is, with the exception of, of one person I know who was n- not sick to the point of having to be hospitalized, but really did not feel well for and and this particular person had made the decision not to be vaccinated but pretty much everybody else i know who's been diagnosed with covid has been vaccinated has been boosted maybe has been double boosted has had covid before and has gotten it again and so the it, what what they have is extremely extremely mild which is of course the good news other than it's it's an inconvenience because you have to quarantine and do those things so the cdc is out saying all right look even though people aren't forced even though we don't have the ability to force people to for example wear masks on planes we nevertheless think it's a good idea, even though we can't force people to wear masks when they go to shopping centers or things like that or banquets or whatever. We, we think it's a good idea. And I'm still not seeing people do that. Jeff, I think people finally have what they want, the freedom to individually choose whether or not to wear masks in tight public spaces. But from a public health perspective, I continue to believe that that's selfish and effective because masks were designed to protect others. Um, and the fact that few choose to do this, I think is somewhat irresponsible. Jeff, I don't think society will allow us to go back to lockdowns. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a, a point of that. I don't think that they will either. I don't think there's any question about that. But I'm just intrigued by the idea that even if you have the option to it, I think there's a lot of people who are just saying, you know, um, no. Jeff, I think the quick introduction of viable vaccines has a lot to do with the low hospitalization rate. I agree. I've gotten my second booster and I feel comfortable being out in public. Yeah, I think that there's an element of that as well. Jeff, I agree with you. We are in a medium transmission area here in Illinois, and we have both decided that any indoor settings we're going to, we will resume wearing masks. But that's our choice. In outdoor settings and other settings, we choose not to wear them. Jeff, my family and I are flying Wednesday for the first time since the mask mandate was lifted, and we cannot wait to fly mask-free. We will not judge those wearing masks, but we are comfortable with whatever the risk is. Jeff, I choose not to wear a mask voluntarily ever again. Well, I think there's a lot of people, again, that are, you know, deciding to, you know, do that. And, you know, that's that's where they're going with this. And I think, you know, we, we have to find our, our balancing act. And, you know, you just you do kind of wonder is. Is this new virus? Is it because fewer people are wearing masks or whatever or, or not 
if your people are wearing masks is that's what is that what is leading to the resurgence and and I, I don't know but I do think it's we are at a point where the reality if we want to talk about the real world the reality is that people are are, are past COVID, and maybe you can argue people shouldn't be past COVID, but I, I think we, we are, and I think COVID is close to becoming endemic, and what that does mean is it means for people with compromised immune systems, the people who are mo- the most vulnerable, you know, maybe you do have to change your behaviors a little bit, just like I suspect you change your behaviors in flu season and things of the like. I said at the start of the pandemic, and I continue to believe that I'm accurate, that I think there will be some people who always wear masks moving forward um, to protect themselves and to protect others. And, and I don't I don't know whether that's going to be two percent of the population or five percent or 10 percent. I doubt it's going to be much more than 10 percent. But there's going to be some people who just constantly make that choice. And I think I think, you know, that that's that's their decision. And I think they're certainly entitled to do that. I think the vast majority of people, particularly people who are otherwise healthy, are going to, after being vaccinated, they're going to just or having had it and had immunity, they're just going to be willing to to take that risk. And I think regardless of which camp you're in. We have to figure out a way to to live with COVID, and and we're not going to go back to shutdowns. That's just the truth. And you know, maybe school systems will continue to require people to wear masks until there's enough of a revolt among parents that they're they're forced out of that. I think we're going to be moving towards, for at least the mandates, we're going to be moving towards a more maskless world. Whether we're there two months from now, or six months from now, or a year from now, don't don't exactly know. But in the interim, my, my guess is more people are going to get COVID, and, and hopefully that situation will be like, well, um, like at least most of the people I know, where you get it, you're diagnosed with it, it's frustrating, and then you sit at home for four or five days, you get over it, you get better, and then you go back to work or get on with your life. But if people choose to wear a mask, I think that's ultimately their decision. They certainly shouldn't be criticized for it, but I think most people are past the, the mask rules and are kind of willing to take the risks. Before we, we bring in John McCure, who's back from vacation, I did want to call your attention to another controversy that is developing, and maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow, maybe not. But the um, University of Wisconsin Board of Regents has announced that they have have, have hired a a new a chancellor for the University of Wisconsin, Madison. So that they've they've hired somebody, and the new hire will ultimately replace Re- Rebecca Blank. Um, Tommy Thompson had been filling in that at, at the job for a number of months, and I, I think I think uh, the governor did an absolutely outstanding job. You know, and I candidly. I think that the Board of Regents could have gone farther and done worse than to ask Tommy to stay on board. But anyhow, they've hired a, a woman from um, the University of Cal- UCLA. Her name is Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer, I think Manukin is how you pronounce it. It's M-N-O-O-K-I-N. She's a dean of law school at uh, at UCLA. Uh, she was unanimously hired by the by the Board of Regents. 
this is not an appointment without controversy. I'm looking at the press release that uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss put out. He said, I'm disappointed in the Board of Regents' blatant partisan selection of Dr. Minokin as the next leader for UW-Madison. In doing a simple search, you quickly find she wholeheartedly supports critical race theory being taught on campus in favor of why she's in favor of widespread vaccine mandates. She also met with Hunter Biden in 2019 to entertain a proposal that he joined the UCLA faculty to teach drug policy. We deserve campus leaders who will encourage healthy debate, uh, diverse thoughts, and freedom of expression. Given her obvious viewpoints and political donations, uh, she needs to provide. Dr. Menachem needs to prove she supports free speech on campus and not politically correct ideologies. After all the work of Tommy Thompson and Rebecca Blank that attempted to strengthen relationships between the university and the legislature, this is a step backwards. I strongly hope the Board of Regents will reconsider their selection. Doubt that that is going to happen, but this is going to be one of the next battles that is shaping up, and I wanted to give you a heads up on it. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Jane Matinere have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.